This episode is brought to you by Cast Party. Cast Party is a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Cast Party follows a group of young actors and crew members in L.A. While on set filming Hollywood's next big fantasy film, they accidentally speak a true spell during the final scene. This spell teleports them to the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Thus begins their quest to find their way back to the real world. You can find Cast Party, the actual play D&D podcast, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. I'm your co-host, Dan. And there's a dog. Before we start talking. We hope to inspire you with creative content that we can bring with you on your next adventure. Oh, what? Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Your roles are like running the same type of adventure. Over and over and over. And over. <laughs> Come on, Ian, uh, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Got a really exciting uh, episode for you guys today. Sorry we are a little late. Uh, it was very much crunch time uh, for some stuff going on, and I didn't get home till late. So here we are. <laughs> uh, so I do apologize for that. Uh, I am really excited for today's show. We are going to be talking about different types of adventures. Um, and this is really great because it should hopefully open your eyes up as a content creator or a DM of some different directions you can take your adventures and stories. Um, mm -hmm. But before we get into that, I'd like to take a minute to say that if you haven't been following along, we have been working hard on Capes and Crooks. We've been doing our playtest streams bi-weekly on Fridays. We just had another one. I personally really enjoyed it. Um and we're excited to uh, delve into some of the big bass, big boss battles that'll be coming up soon. Uh, our players have been chasing down the bright bomber since they started, and hopefully they're going to be uh, catching, uh, catch, catching her. So uh, it is, it is an up, yeah, it, it is a her. Is that a problem? I didn't know if you were giving something away. No, they figured it out. Uh, yeah, we knew the, that. Uh, it will be our upcoming Kickstarter, a 5th edition superhero RPG, so keep an eye out for that. If you're interested in following, you can sign up for notifications on this project by visiting our website at CritAcademy.com slash CapesAndCrooks. Now, before we get into our main topic, we like to start off every episode by giving away fat loot to you, our benevolent and generous supporters. And our RPG fat loot giveaway for today is a chase through the plains. Now, you... One, maybe you want to introduce your characters to the planes and kick off a planar campaign. Those are always exciting, but sometimes a little hard to, you know, get the ball rolling. Or maybe you're just looking for a fun one-shot to kind of run for your group, or maybe you're running a mid-level content in Waterdeep. Maybe you're at 9 to 10 levels. Then, the adventure, A Chase Through the Planes, is exactly what you need. It starts in Waterdeep with a job given by Vajra Safar to catch a thief who stole dangerous... Uh, tomes from the Blackstaff Tower uh, and takes players beyond the material plane to the various planes of existence. The plane of fire, Shadowfell, uh, Feywild, 
Isgard, and of course the Astral Sea. It has a varied ending and the potential hooks for next adventures. Yes, so it's, it's awesome. a very, very easy way to kind of get that. I uh, get out, get you guys out of the material plane and dabble in a little bit of all the other stuff, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our winner today is Al Caps. Congratulations. <laughs> is that all caps or all caps? All caps. Oh, I guess I could see that. I don't I know. I don't care really. That too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry if you didn't win. Uh, you can just head over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe to the newsletter for your chance to win. It's completely free. Just go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, every week we give away two uh, two pieces of uh, new items every week. So go sign up now. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on to our main uh, topic today. We are topic- talking types of RPG adventures. Um, I would love to say that I created this list, but I, in fact, did not. This is from Gnome Stew's giant list of RPG types, which I think is just rad as hell. Uh, I'll go ahead and share mm-hmm. the show notes if you want to follow along. There's a link to their full uh, article there. Um, so, let's be honest. There's When it comes to building adventure types it's easy to get caught up in either our favorite type or just something we've got comfortable with um for sure whether this is just like a dungeon crawl or maybe you always do mysteries or what have you but we wanted to give you some more detail on the different types of you know adventures that can fit within the sum of a bigger adventure right um Mm -hmm. and they had a really good list of these so i see we uh the, the, so the first one that they had on the list that I really liked is called Assault. Uh, this adventure type features storming castles, wiping uh, out or running off hostile groups, tracking down space pirates, and any other scenario where the focus is the PC taking the fight to someone else hard. I really think this is probably one, one of the more common adventure types. Go kill this, go classic. hunt that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's super common. I think that it has its place, and I think it can be a lot of fun, but... Kill quests is I'm, I'm an MMO nerd, so kill quests kind of can get redundant because they're so straightforward and not complex. So that can mm-hmm. mean some of your group getting kind of bored of it. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on the assault uh, type RPG adventure style? I remember when one game session I had accidentally became that. It also turned out that I read the adventure wrong and the players were under leveled, but so took three assault assaults. <laughs> Nice. They did pull it off. <laughs> nice. That's okay. You turned it around. Yeah. And the first time they managed to break their way in there by one player cast the illusion spell to create a Trojan rabbit. <laughs> a, a what? I'm, I'm sorry. A Trojan rabbit? What did I you fit so. inside there? A stick of dynamite? Uh, nope. Just, just the players who are hiding behind bushes. <laughs> Okay. So they like, a rabbit and they open pulling the door. off multiple accidental Monty Python references in one go. <laughs> okay. What about you, Austin? I I'm always down for a good like castle raid, but mm-hmm. not like defending a castle, but like attacking the castle. Yeah. So I'm I'm always down for something like that. And it's and the assault isn't just like uh, it doesn't have to be just a castle. It can be like a a, a, a lair of like thieves, mm-hmm. a thieves den or something like that too, which is really cool. Or maybe you rush into a, a forest and you know uh, attack some you know goblins that are fort- fortified there or whatever. So. 
I definitely feel like it would uh, it has its place when say you your group is like working with like you know the knights of whatever town you're a part of and you guys are kind of like coalitioning. Yeah. I can see that having a very good place to kind of build that world and the role play advantage of it. So, I like I that. Know, I could see it. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Ian, do you want to pick up that next one? All right, next one is the chase. Someone or something in their possession needs to be found or caught. The PCs are in pursuit. Fortunately, the PCs can be the pursued, not the pursuers. Air escapes, thrilling car chases, redline starship engines, false trails and ambushes are the hallmarks of the chase adventure. Yeah, I this is one of my favorites. Um one thing I think that 4th edition got re- done really well was chases through the uh through the use of skill challenges. And mm. for me, um, those are exciting because they're so dynamic and you can easily change the, the situation in a chase with a low roll of the dice or something like that. So the, for instance, the common one is the characters chasing a thief through a, through a town square. Right. And the, mm-hmm. the guy, you know, that's doing the dexterity of climbing, you know, across some uh, running across some clotheslines, um, rolls really poorly. Well, that person that started off by taking the rooftops now falls to the ground now has to, has new challenges because they, they failed poorly, which changes it for each individual player, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's not very often where the players are the ones being chased by something, though. So I definitely feel like oh, that's yeah. something that could definitely be expanded upon. You're usually the ones chasing the individual. It's funny you say that because I was just writing a, a delve earlier today where if the players get lost in the forest, they're, the adventures for third level... One of the dice rolls is a Tyrannosaurus engaging and gorging on adventurer corpses, and that would totally be one of those shit, it's chasing us run moments. Right. So, uh, very good. cool. Uh, uh, go ahead. So, I'll take the next one here uh, comedy. Comedy adventures can be a refreshing break, or refreshing break excuse me, from a more serious fare, like featuring elements like, you know, botched capers, slapstick, embarrassing situations, you know, those fish out of water like scenarios. Which I feel like a lot of adventures tend to start off this way, <laughs> yes. where they kind of just seem kind of comical and everyone's kind of getting their feet wet. Uh, so I feel like this is also one of those that just kind of come up a lot. Or yeah. for instance, like the one shot we did together with uh... Steve. No, need some no. words. <laughs> uh, the one with the um, where we went to like the the frat party or whatever. Oh, we the uh, that was uh what is that war uh war turtle brewery or something? Yeah, that was a, a good more one. Comical feel, so yeah. Fighting the giant yeah. Voltron bar- barrel monster barrel was monster, definitely yeah. one of them. <laughs> yes, yeah, so definitely. Uh, comedy definitely has its place, especially in one shots. I feel like so. Yeah, that's probably the place you can get away with the most kind of changing of the game type because you expect it to be over in a night so mm-hmm. and i feel like comedy is often the type i end up playing the most because i feel like many games i've played ended up becoming a comedy <laughs> not intentionally mind you it just ended up that way and you know what i'm okay with that 
<laughs> and that, and I feel like that one lends itself really well for new players too, because then you're getting more out of the game than just, all right, guys, we got to sit down. We got to figure out who the murderer is, blah, blah, blah. Instead, everyone's having a good time. It might be some beers being passed around, maybe some Kool-Aid if you're kids. Um, but it, it, the, the slapstick humor is certainly fun, especially if you got people who like to play bards and stuff that comes through more. But anytime you, you build a scenario that's based on a joke, that is just fun. <laughs> it's a World lot of fun. Is less involved, so it's yes. a lot more accessible for newer players. And you, that's that's actually the uh, a perfect perfect. Uh, you hit it on the nose because uh, when everyone's just joking around, it's like friends joking around at the table. There's not some sort exactly. of seriousness to it. Yeah. So uh, the next one is a contest, competitions, gladiatorial arenas, jousting, and danger rooms from superhero comics all fit the bill as examples of adventure themes revolving around contests. I love contests. I think contests are so much fun and give the characters an opportunity to show off their stuff. One of my classic ones that I used to run when I played uh, third edition was the traditional Robin Hood archery contest. It really uh, let the, the, the ranger or the, 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 the ranged class archer, whatever they were um, rogue really get to, to, to shine in the limelight while they were taking part in the competition the other players were kind of sniffing around for clues and rooting out who the cheater was and who was doing the gambling and the fixing and stuff. So when you get those kind of competitive uh, competitions, you can let certain class types and roles uh, really shine. In addition, you can throw some weird shit at people that would normally not come up in uh, in an adventure, right? Um, mm. And that's one of the things that I really like about it. What do you think, Ian? Uh, contest definitely has a lot of options that you can do, and I definitely think you can get some oddball ones too. Like I've been in some where had like a vaulting, caber tosses, eating contests. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I I see a comment for dinosaur races would be an awesome contest. Um, <laughs> Pretty good. Which the, which I've also participated in, and I think the fun thing about contests too is, especially when you like roll for sk skill skills. You might be surprised who wins a few things here and there. Oh, yeah, because there's so much uh, chance of uh, of so much randomness in it. But the other thing mm -hmm. I think we're not touching on is in contests, you can build contests that focus on skills that don't get a lot of attention. In one yeah. of the adventures we ran of Jeff Stevens, um, you had to, you guys end up, the, the players end up, you know, fighting some group of bandits. And turns out it's just a group of actors pretending to be bandits to put on this show. So lo and behold, mm -hmm. the players find out now they are the actors and have to put on a performance for this, this big, you know, bandit guy, bandit king guy, which I just think is really cool. So contests really allow you to, to, to play around a lot with that stuff. I think contests are also a really good way to introduce the main villain. Uh, reason being, as in, you're going to this contest, you expect nothing to be out of place, you know, uh, you're going in and maybe to gather some information, but lo and behold, the big bad evil guy is actually one of the competitors at the competition. And that's now nice. you find him and you can track him down and do whatever you need to do from there. I think that's a easy way to go about that one of my one of my big characters one of my favorite video games was uh fable and you meet one of the very bad guys during a arena contest and mm -hmm. he's like the big big you know champion or whatever and so that's that's really nice i like that what about you would be hilarious if you still if uh, the players got a hold of like a potential meeting of villains and they they followed them to track them down 
Only to realize all the bills are getting together to have a Battle of the Bands competition against each other. Oh, I love it. I love it. That See, and there's there's just so much you can do with that. Uh, Battle of the right. Band style is awesome. All right, and our next uh, adventure type, delivery. Delivery adventure involves getting an inanimate package from point A to point B and features complications and routes, such as, you know, ham ambushes, hazards, weather, and other obstacles. Can make the uh, journey a challenging one. I I like this. Um, I think delivery is something that gets overlooked a little often because there's more than just going from point A to point B. If the package is is precious, it getting damaged in a scuffle. If it's valuable, getting stolen along the way. Um, if it's small, getting lost or misplaced. I mean, there's so much that can arise from that it just is um a great adventure style overall once again one that i don't see very often I'm i remember gonna the one add... adventure that actually kind of mentioned talked with awesome about earlier that i won't get into too many details but short version the package that we were told to deliver ended up being a bomb oh jeez. So, yeah yeah uh i was actually going to add on top of that the package could even be because it's supposed to be inanimate who's to say that isn't just a person in a tube and the players don't know that. They just say it's a box. And now suddenly this delivery suddenly has some moral ambiguity attached oh, to it. Because yeah. if you knew this was a person, you would uh, think to save them. But is it really your place to when there are powers much higher than yours at the moment controlling this? And that's kind of where it goes to. You know what this kind of reminds me of a little bit? Did you ever see the show of Will Smith, Enemy of the State? Um, oh, dude, it's, it's crazy. So his buddy slips some, he meet, runs into his buddy just by chance while shopping for lingerie for his wife. And his buddy sticks this thing into his bag. And it turns out it has video footage of an assassination and the guy's being chased by people and has no idea why. Finally, he figures out he's got to get this to the public. Or he has to get this to somebody that can share it or somebody of power. But then he's also dealing with the people chasing him. So that's mm -hmm. kind of a chase meets delivery, I think, which is kind of cool. That's so, kind of cool. I do like that a lot. I do think we did an escort uh, encounter in one of the UTT books where the person they were escorting was a wild magic sorcerer who couldn't control their magic. So during battles, when they got antsy or something happened, their power just let loose and created mm. that you would roll on the wild magic table and just get all these random effects. So a lot of stuff like that can make it very dynamic. For sure. Also, Escorting right. is also one below there, but we'll, yeah, let's we'll try just to get skip over that. that. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> oh. uh, but for the next one is diplomacy now in a diplomatic adventure the PCs might be envoys, mediators or emissaries of peace now, these scenarios involve delicate negotiations circumventing or negotiating treaties forging alliances, driving a wedge between allies, convincing others to come to your aid averting war and a whole other plethora of social elements that you can just throw your players into uh, this one is probably the one I see the least um, because yeah. it's it's hard to build an interesting campaign off political intrigue alone. I think yes. that's the issue because you can't do something basic because the players have already seen it a million times. So you right. have to kind of convolute things. You have to have these important like set pieces that you kind of have to keep together yeah. and clues to, to make them work. So definitely not Let's be real here. There's a lot of players that would rather just bear their ax and something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I don't blame them. Yeah, but that should also in a situation like that, you would have to make that uh, 
also have a, a, a an unintended consequence, right? Because if you put mm-hmm. them in a diplomatic solution a situation where, hey, we have to these two alliances are um, trying to destroy each other, it's your responsibility to bring them to an agreement. Otherwise, they're going to go to war and it's going to spread, you know, and cause all these problems. Well, if the players just go in and kill the one person, well, now they feel like they're attacked by the other faction. So the war starts anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have the intended effect that the the players had, right? Or the player thought it would have. Well, it also depends on who they're killing. Well, of course, of course. Yeah, but that that is definitely the the challenge with diplomacy. So definitely a fun one when they do come by, but... Chances are you're probably going to be looking for a module for this one. Right, right. Yeah. Um, did you have something, Ian? Nope. Okay. Nope. Uh, so uh, next up is disaster from giant asteroids heading to the planet, uh, to planet-wide earthquakes or the wrath of gods, uh, to hurricanes, killer viruses. And rampaging monsters. <laughs> the shit really hits the fan when the, uh, in these adventures. And the PCs are usually in the middle of it. So one thing I've really, 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 really wanted to do. I'm a huge fan of Final Fantasy XIV. And in the very beginning of A Realm Reborn, a damn comet hits the planet. And yep. it, that's it sure the start does. of the game. And so everyone's recovering from this disaster. And the world's economies and everything have changed because of this catastrophic event. I love the idea of having the players take an adventure and then this not even being tied to the adventure. They're level one. They're going to kill some goblins and they see a streaking star in the sky and a massive explosion and everything gets rocked. That just sounds like an amazing opening. Or maybe you started off as that and then it becomes post-apocalyptic world and the players are like, what the hell just happened? I mean, that just, it seems so awesome. That that is such an easy, like a good hook to use. I think when I ran my campaign for a little bit, although everyone's times were off, and so I was like, I'm not running a campaign at midnight. Y'all can just go find a new DM or something. Uh, I started them off. Uh, this was supposed to be like an assault styled campaign. Well, I realized very quickly that not every player is kind of totally into that. And so I was like, okay, that's going to be fine. So this turned into a disaster campaign, which was they all kind of were like in the front lines. I still made them like soldiers to kind of start off. And next thing I know, I had this person who was just kind of levitating in the air and everyone kind of looked at him real funny. And they're like, what is that? And I said, and everything uh, smashes to black immediately for all four of you. And they're like, what just happened? That's and then awesome. I said, they wake up and there is corpses everywhere of both sides. Everyone is dead. There's fire. Uh, you have no idea how long it's been. Your vision is blurry. You can barely walk. What do you do? And that's what I told them. I said, what do you do? And they look at me. They're like, what do you mean? What do we do? I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> you <laughs> have no I- yeah, You have no idea what happened. I mean, you basically, I mean, and that's the point. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. You're I not like supposed that. to know what's happening. And that's, I think that was the fun of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the campaign didn't last long, but it was definitely a fun disaster. It's not quite disaster. Cause it's still a little small scale, but the point is the disaster is just this thing that had Damn. happened. That was a catastrophic level event. There's something a lot of like adventures or campaigns or sessions that you can springboard off of this type of low and just because there's a lot of things you can do with it. Right. And to see a lot of like uh, skill challenges involved too. Yeah. Uh, Descent and Avernus. Great example yes. of a disaster campaign. Yep. Perfect. Perfect example. If those of you are listening or watching don't know, uh, that starts with an entire city being dragged into hell. That's pretty, pretty disastrous. 
Yes. <laughs> There's a giant hole between time and space because the entire city just got pulled into Avernus. Real uh, good stuff. Real good stuff. Very cool. All right, to keep things moving, our next one is Escape. Species are captives, prisoners, slaves, or what have you. You're locked up and you get to escape. Others can improve some breaks, elaborate plans, sneaky from the guards, high tension, stealth diversion, and often a thrilling chase scene. I can even see you like uh, bribing or uh, off your way through guards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was another uh, campaign that was like this. What was it? The uh, Out of the Abyss? Yep. Yep. Yeah. The the players yeah, start all start as uh, slaves. prisoners. Yep. They're, they're yeah, slaves. Prisoner. You're right. Prisoner, yes. slave, something like that of the drow people, yeah. right? Which is mm -hmm. not a good situation to be in at uh, all. No. <laughs> <laughs> the one downside though, trying to escape is depending on what the player's abilities are. I could see this one being lampshade fairly easily. Yeah. I could see like a balancing act too. It's like okay, we, we need to make things difficult for the players, but not too difficult to make it right. That that definitely has some risk to it. Yeah, I uh, I think that this works. Uh, obviously, the prison break is the most common one, but the the other type of escape that I I think is is really good is when the characters have gone through the the trouble to infiltrate something, and it's not as easy to get out as it was to get in. And I'm I'm thinking mm -hmm. of like a. Uh, uh, they trigger something and it puts everything on high alert. So now, shit, we got in. How the hell are we going to get out? Well, right. turns out I know a guy. Uh, we might be able to, you know, bribe him to get out. Or mm -hmm. maybe he bribes. we bribe him. He lets shows us the exit right into another cage. He paid me more. <laughs> right. Know? So I really like, I like escape style stuff. Definitely, uh, uh, Definitely can make some iconic situations for sure. For sure. Like where certain players with certain skill sets can definitely shine throughout these. So a good one. Uh, escort. So this is the one that's much like the uh, delivery. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's usually like guarding a caravan or a person of interest. Uh, these adventures feature ambushes, situations that endanger the escorted characters, bounding between the escorts and escorted narrow escapes, and thrilling set pieces. Uh, so the thing that definitely ties this from different from delivery is the idea that this is a real person. You mm -hmm. can talk to this person. Yep. What if it's a princess, but she doesn't want to marry to this prince that you're supposed to escort? <laughs> Suddenly, we have a very big issue on our hands because while you're getting closer to this person, so you're kind of getting more understanding with this princess that clearly doesn't want anything to do with the other kingdom's prince, should you really cause a war over this? <laughs> <laughs> That's where the, the interesting part is. Or are you willing to be assumed that you're all fugitives who had seemingly captured the princess right. that's another thing as well so i wouldn't say you'd cause a war but you guys would definitely have a bounty on your head all of a sudden so definitely a lot more different than delivery in the sense that this is a living breathing thing you should put emphasis on the fact that this is a living breathing thing. and as a dm the that player that character that's being escorted really needs to have a strong persona or something that's being constantly reminded that it's there and giving mm -hmm. them an annoying habit is a great way to do that like <laughs> um like they if it's a princess not to sound all gaudy but they maybe they don't right. like getting dirty right and so they're nitpicking and complaining we're gonna walk through that like oh my god you know something like that would just mm -hmm. be 
to the point that some of the players characters would be like, "Can I just, can I just, can I just take her out? Uh, she's not worth, she's not yeah. worth it." Can I just like kill her and say like bandits got to us or something? Like, right, I don't know, like, man. We got yeah, paid we're... half up front. We can bail. <laughs> <laughs> not that you uh, want to do that but anyways no for sure but uh, any input Ian? yeah yep not not at this time no okay all right uh so the next one is espionage this i'm, I'm i was just saying i was writing a delve earlier and it's very much espionage espionage themes adventures feature spying subterfuge learning or exposing secrets clandestine activities conspiracy skullduggery and conflict in the shadows the pcs can be spies professional or thrust into the role spy masters or unwitting participants so the one i'm writing right now is there's two factions that are this thing is going on in the city the uh they both are kind of head to head but one is actively trying to undermine and make sure the other one crumbles well that group is involved in some stuff going on in this other city so the other city finds out this is happening and knows if that group crumbles then the infrastructure part of their city is going to crumble so the players have to go in figure out who's in charge who's doing what why they're doing it and try to stiff it and the only way they can do that is by sneaking around the problem is is all the you can make all the monsters or the uh the critical people stronger than the players so they can't just outright you know attack slabs yes yeah and so it forces them to find alternate ways turning each other against each other or turning certain allies against each other and stuff by forgery that was one of the keys mm -hmm. i used the forgery kit a skill becomes a big help in something like this criminal uh criminal contacts all those other sorts of powers that don't get as much attention really shine in the whole all right this duke's a dick we need to bring him down but he's too strong to kill directly what can we do right I still find it hilarious that during our Friday campaign with Capes and Crooks, White Ninja, I mean, yeah, he's a ninja, so he's great when it comes to stealth. He has that part down. I made Charisma his dump stat because I figured he's a ninja. He won't talk much. But then I had to bluff my way through how many situations now? And I keep going good at it. Yeah. And, and, and that's and that's part of it, right? And And that really becomes where a dagger is useful, but you're not always going to be able to just, you know, slice your way through an enemy. And sometimes the goal is just to dig up information. And mm -hmm. the best way to do that is through these sorts of, you know, activities as opposed to just a knife to the gut. So, right. Mm -hmm. Ian? Can be hard to do. I think we covered that one pretty good. I think we're good. Ian? Exploration. Yep, we're on exploration. Exploration. A new planet, cabinet, jump gate destination, or sealed tombs awaits. Some place new needs discovering, or has been discovered, or has been lost and found again. PCs must explore the new land, dungeon, planet, plane, what have you. Pretty straightforward enough. Yes. I like exploration in D&D &D when it involves places that they don't know about, like... You know, I find exploration inside of a city like Waterdeep, you're it. It's hard to, it's hard to. I don't know the word I want to to describe just the generic exploration. It doesn't feel. It, you're in a city. There's nothing that doesn't mm -hmm. seem. It doesn't seem explorative, though you can use a city. And something like this, I think it's a great opportunity to 
reveal things they haven't run into, not just like from monster standpoint, but new like uh, habitats that they haven't dealt with. If you are running uh, an adventure that's always seems to be sunny, rainy outside, but never know so, adventuring into a mountaintop where it's coated in snow, that becomes a very explorative uh, sort of um, game type. And you can get a lot out of that because what the hell is hidden underneath the snow, you know? And right. it, it rewards the players that think, well, I'm going to throw a fireball at that mountain and see what happens. Oh, I melted it. Oh, there's a building under there. <laughs> there's a building under You know what I mean? And I right. I like yeah. that sort of stuff. But it, I found that for me, it's sometimes hard to make it uh, not just a matter of a simple skill check and engaging. Right. I think another good example, again, I'm going to bring it up again, Descent into Avernus. It's, it, you are exploring a whole different plane, and so you can really kind of grasp, like, uh, or, like, compare from, like, Waterdeep, which has, like, a certain set of laws and whatnot, and then compare it to, like, mm -hmm. uh, oh, Avernus, good. which has a very, very, very different set of laws and rules <laughs> in this plane of existence. So definitely something I recommend for if you're looking for inspiration. I love it. That was really good. That was better. I should have just let you take that. <laughs> I struggle uh, so, with exploration sometimes, so it is hard. I definitely can't do it uh, on DM standpoint. Um, a heist. So heists are fun. Uh, heist scenarios involve around stealing something important or preventing it from being stolen, depending on which side you're on. Uh, I've been on both. Both are fun. Yep. <laughs> uh, they often involve elaborate plans, disguises, breaking and entering, shady characters, and often people getting double crossed. Right. Uh, I. It's. Again, not really one that's used very often. It's another one of those because usually you're the heroes of the story, so you're not oftentimes going to be heisting something, particularly when you have you know a lot of melee or just very brute force kinds of players where why heist it when I can just take it? <laughs> yep. and, and I think we can also combine it too with the fact that A, it has a lot in common with espionage, and B, I do believe this type of adventure often, as you're kind of touching yourself, requires a particular set of skills, which the players may or may not have. Yes. And it, it just, uh, it involves preparation on the DM, too, which I know is never easy. So yeah. definitely not an easy one to do. But it can be fun. I, I've, again, I've been on the, when I was supposed to be thieving something and when I was supposed to prevent something from being thieved. It was a good time <laughs> either way, so... If you're yeah, looking to run this and make this a primary uh, campaign focus, the Mistborn series is a great, uh, a great heist style book that could give you lots of good inspiration um, for something like this. Or watching the Ocean's Eleven uh, flick if you need a little something a little uh, less time consuming. For <laughs> show mm -hmm. leverage. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, there's also Six of Crows by Leigh Bardugo, oh, another really great one. That's a good it's one. It's about six people who are all unlikely comrades having to go steal something, and it all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> I think if you've got a really large group, a heist is a great campaign style. Because Honestly, yes. Because <laughs> they they're all going to have different skill sets, and as the DM, you say, okay – this person, this these all, this is what they do best. So now I'm going to build a campaign that requires each of them to do something with that skill, and it's easy to jump from scene to scene if they're in different locations in a heist style game because they don't you don't run into combat as often. Not that you won't, but uh, mm -hmm. so the very good like that. One. I think we've actually did exactly half the entry so far, so so we're kind of falling behind. 
Yeah, we are. Uh, all right, so there's there's a bunch of others on here. Um, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash episode 217. Yep. Or CritAcademy.com slash post slash episode 217, and you can find all of them. How about each of us pick one more that's maybe our favorite, and we'll go through those, and then we'll move on because we are running out of time. This is a big list. Uh, it is a very big huge list. list. So the one I want to talk about is morality. Um, I know somebody else has this highlighted, but okay. I, adventures about morality have a message and they communicate a broader truth like all people are created equal or revenge is a never-ending cycle of violence. It's easy to be too heavy-handed with scenarios like this and they don't also fit in, in, in many games, but when they work... They can uh, They can have an emotional impact. Um, I love morality. Anybody that's been in my games, you guys are learning this in Capes and Crooks now, aren't you? You got. And last Friday, mm-hmm. you learned that this girl trapped in this this you know uh, medical tube is locked in here. Might be related to the person, or might even be the related or the daughter or whatever you guys came up with to the bright bomber that you're chasing. So mm-hmm. that the connection start, doesn't yeah, share. That, that starts to pull in a way of, well, is that important? And if it is her daughter and you guys just, you know, eh, you know, take out the bright bomber, right. what kind of you're going to know that, oh, I just, you know, took this child's mother, you know, <laughs> or something right. like that. Or maybe the mother put her in the tube or maybe it's not her child at all. And you guys, she just goes visit it maybe. But when it comes you know, to morality, you need that maybe the person's in the tube for a reason, <laughs> for the sense of. They're too dangerous. We need to keep them on ice. <laughs> yeah, that could, could also be. be a thing. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like when it comes to morality, though, if you're put into a situation where, um, the like one of my favorite ones, I think we talked about this show briefly, is um the 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 uh, a local village is putting up their or locking down their doors and walls and prevent again preventing the elves from coming in because the elves' forest burned down and they've got nowhere to go. There's no forest. It's, it's gone. And so that creates a moral quandary for the team. They have to decide. One side, half of the group wants the, to let all the elves in, and even though they're tight on food, to share what they got. And you got another group that's just like, no, not our fault. Their damn forest burned down. Time to find another forest. That creates a very moral quandary. And Especially when the town doesn't have the resources to take in the refugees. Yes, because mm-hmm. then you can see both sides of it. It's not just a, a hate issue. It's Look, we can't afford to barely feed ourselves. How are we going to feed them, you know? And the, so... I think that's one of the important things of any morality-style adventure because I do think it is very, very important that you set it up where you can see both sides of the argument. Yeah. Yes. You have to make the players see that the world is not black and white. It is just a lot of shades of gray. <laughs> I think a and, lot of people forget that in general, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, but in your tables, you have to... Which it's very easy to be like, this guy's evil because he do bad thing. Well, okay, but now you have to, if you want to create a morality game, why did he do that bad thing? Right. And you have to kind of just nudge, there's probably a good reason why he did it. Now, he did the bad thing, so is it still wrong? And well, there you yeah. go. And and that's 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 always part of it, right? right. So, um, Ian, did you have one that really jumped out at you? <laughs> Yeah, there's one, one, and it actually ties into several, actually, but there's the resistance, which is... Yes, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Adventures involve, you guys are the underdogs fighting against those in power through subterfuge, raids, girl attacks, underground ops, asymmetrical warfare, Robin Hood-type things, and there's so many ways you can go with this, and 
there's something kind of fun about uh, up against a bigger, bigger force and winning, but at the same time, knowing when you might need to retreat to yep. fight another day. Yep. Absolutely. That's also a very hard one to... Uh, I don't feel... Okay, maybe not hard. It's not necessarily hard to run this one. It's just hard to keep the theme that you are the weaker force. I think that's the issue. Especially as players winning. get stronger. Yes. Because <laughs> that means you're going to have to get some pretty big guys to on the uh, enemy team there. So I think the way that that could work, though, really well is if the characters do start at a lower level, they start at, like, the lowest level of the resistance. And as they get stronger, they move up the ladder in the, the, the hierarchy of importance. I just was mm -hmm. watching the, the, the Falcon and the, the, or, or the, and the Winter Soldier, and one of the characters in there is a normal thug-type person until she gets Super Serum Soldier, and then she ends up taking her fight even stronger and ends up becoming, you know, the big dog at the top. And I think mm. that would be a good, that would be a effective way to um, keep kind the natural transition. Yes. To, yes. To the, to the plot. Yeah. I can agree with that. That's a good uh, one. Funny enough. Uh, the one that I was going to choose was the war styled campaign. Of course. Because, uh, it's always, uh, it's, I think having these big conquests and big battles while they are definitely a workload. Cause you kind of have to put in, all right, who are the, you know, the big characters, uh, who are the smaller forces who are like, uh, you know, like what territories are they part of? You kind of have to really sit down and think, man, these guys have a lot of things and I kind of have to make note of all of these things. Yeah. But when you do these adventures themed run war can involve, you know, like sieging, uh, conquest, defending territories, leading armies, even, uh, crashing the city gates, uh, maybe you have some generals, some scouts, guerrilla warfare, and just, you know, all sorts of similar things. Assassination being not excluded from right, them. Right, right. So there's all sorts of these uh, things you can really play around with. Because war is kind of just this big thing, and you can kind of pick and choose what parts you want to play, uh, that your players feel most comfortable doing. So, I've, uh, I've always... Dips into all the other various other adventure types here too. So yeah, mm -hmm. that happens. I've always wanted. Uh, ever since I read the first time I read uh, Mistborn books in the Siege of Luthadel, I've always wanted to run an adventure where the entirety of the adventure takes place in a city that is under siege by an outside force. In this case, there was three forces outside of the city trying to take it. Now that you know, and mm -hmm. so. The, the the people inside are fighting amongst themselves over resources. Um, they have to burn down houses to get wood so they can keep themselves warm as the siege lasts into the winter. Um, there's constantly um, um, people from the outside getting in to try to do negotiations, which leads to some people not agreeing with them and attacking them. And just all these sorts of things I think would be so much fun. It can all take place inside of a single city that is under siege where you can't freely just leave. Um, mm -hmm. And that's always been something I've wanted to try since I read the first time I read the, the Mistborn series. So definitely is a lot of fun. I think that having the players do a mix of other adventures that, that push the tides of war uh, in mm -hmm. one side's favor uh, could be really cool too. You could really just set off the players as like a mercenary group for hire. And you can just now they now we're suddenly stuck into a, a moral ambiguity thing where it's like, well, these guys pay. Is it good to help them? Right. Like, what is your player's belief system and whatnot? There's a lot of things you can really play around with yeah, being a sure. neutral force in this war setting. 
I'm now so. thinking about the Black Company book series, which yeah. followed the group of mercenaries. It was clear very early on that the guys who hired them were probably the evil guys, but they don't care if they're being paid. <laughs> sounds a yep. lot like Austin's characters. <laughs> All right. Um, so there's a lot to this. I, I do want to give a huge shout out to the uh, the original article, Gnome Stew's Giant List of RPG Adventure Types. You can find it in our show notes uh, over at criticademy.com slash post slash episode 217. If you want to look at the full list and get a link to their, their article as well as their other articles, which are all awesome. Um, Overall, there are a plethora of types, and there are more types beyond what is just discussed with us today and beyond what's yeah. in this article, um, especially when you start to mix and match a collection of them. So um, mm-hmm. just when you're when you're designing your campaigns or you're running another uh, adventure, just consider yourself, wh- which is the last one I ran, and can I change it from that? Um, and how can I do that? And you'll find mm-hmm. that you keep your games fresh that way. For sure. So, I think that'll do it for our main topic today. I gotta, I gotta click the... And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment. Where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. All right, uh, on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. Uh, Austin, or Ian, sorry, would you like to tell us about our character concept today? Hey, our character concept comes actually from the 4th edition Dark Sun campaign setting book, Arms Chubador. A world of fantasy, nobles surround themselves with retainers. Many of these kept retainers are just simple entertainment, decoration, but some are more than entertaining companions. They are skilled duelists and treasured advisors. The warriors never more than a few steps from their patron's side. In addition to beautifying the noble household with poetry and song, children of this sort often serve as arms instructors and elite bodyguards. They are typically well-educated, literate, skilled in an instrument or two, renowned poets, and equipped with charm and refinement. Yeah, well... (laughs) That rules me out. <laughs> and some begin as minor nobility, attending wealthier and more important nobles. Others as are descended from well-off merchants or commoners who set out to master a, the courtier's skills and seek noble, noble patronage. As an armed troubadour, you might have a patron whose interests you look after during your adventures, or you could come be- between patrons. So, given your renown and skill, your services might be highly sought after. Careful when you click, they kind of blocked out some text I was trying to read, so. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very cool. Yeah, this is kind of a a little more to take in than our normal character concept, but that's because it is from a D&D 4E uh, campaign setting. Very detailed. Yeah, I definitely, like, if I were to play this as a character... Uh, I feel like you would have to play as like a bard with a noble background. There's so little wiggle room with the. I mean, it's a great concept, but I think the idea is it's not supposed to be malleable. It's supposed to be like you are this, this elite, uh, like uh, just kind of person. I would say you don't have to necessarily be a bard. I can totally Agreed. see uh, any Crete character who takes the entertainer background. 
Okay. Um, because it gives you the the details. Because while the noble background gives you noble benefits, you can be a noble and still be an entertainer and only get the entertainer background uh, details. Or if you just pick up a feat that gives you, or uh, a, a feat or a uh, class or something that gives you an instrument, um, you can also do some of this stuff. So while I do agree that the bard probably fits this the most as far as the 5e mechanics, I don't think it's really limited to that because anybody can decide they want to, you know, learn an instrument and pick it as one of their tools, right? The bard just gets like five Almost. of them. <laughs> Even then, as we kind of touched on, I don't think you necessarily need to be an entertainer for, for this, this concept just because, as we kind of mentioned too, while reading through this, you has some skills that somebody might want and there's lots of skills that could be i, I guess they do say like this, oh sorry go ahead and the bet for this character concept too is let's be real here here's like being the center of attention and i think that plays into that the spec character concept mm -hmm. yeah i agree I feel like you can even just uh you don't even need like an instrument because it says you can just be like well-educated literate renowned poet yep all sorts of stuff so Definitely not just limited to Bard, I guess. But I can see where it does give the illusion that you're kind of shoehorning the, the character into mm -hmm. that. But uh, when I first thought of it, I was like, yeah, Bard, but I think a, a fighter would be just as just as fun. I was thinking a fighter as well as like a, a second one. Mm -hmm. So there you go. All right. That'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Not even close. That was the character concept. I'm sorry. That'll do it for our character concept of the podcast. <laughs> Our monster variant today is our Reborn Lich. If you're looking at the screen right now, you'll see a cutout from our monthly magazine that our patrons get a hold of, our Honor Tips and Tricks monthly magazine. You can get an idea of how I do the layout and stuff, so hopefully you like that. Um, so here you'll see our Reborn Lich. The Lich views the world through a lens of infinite opportunity where time is no longer a significant concern, except for when you're just born. Uh, so in... One thing I always want to do is you want to include your monsters and get your players to fight some of the iconic monsters, but they don't always hit those high levels to do so. A lich yeah. being very strong is one of them. So how about a lich that was just born? They just finished their transformation, and because of that, there's still some kind of effects that come with that. So you're going to start with the Archmage feature. You're going to... Uh, you're going to lose the spell list. It's going to become an undead. Undead. It's not going to have any mage armor, so it's going to lose 2 AC. It's going to have no stone skin, so it's going to lose resistance to mundane weapons. So, Justin, why are you getting rid of all of its defenses? <laughs> so I can give it more damage. <laughs> Fair enough. So aside from this really dope-ass spell list that includes things like magic missile, shield, thunder wave, acid arrow, animate the dead, cloud kill... Uh, disintegrate globe of invulnerability hell yeah and power word kill um we gave it some really cool features as well so we're gonna give it a legendary resistance once per day <laughs> there is always a catch of course um we're gonna give a legendary resistance once a day which means it can basically succeed on any saving throw that it fails just mm -hmm. like that 
because our lich just came out of his necrotic aura or just came out of his transformation that ritual energy is still running through him so we're going to give him necrotic aura aura at the start of each of the lich's turns or the reborn lich's turns each creature within five feet takes 2d6 necrotic damage and if they hit with a hit or touch it also takes 2d6 uh, necrotic damage so this energy is still suffusing his body and uh, suffusing his body and is going to cause problems now he's going to have rejuvenation right he's got a phylactery uh his body reforms mm -hmm. 1d10 late days later um and reappears five feet away where of his phylactery making him damn near immortal uh we're going to give him paralyzing touch Every time he touches the the he makes it here he makes a melee spell attack for a plus nine three d six cold damage and fifteen uh, dc constitution saver be paralyzed oh shit um Pretty keep your good. distance uh, we're also gonna give it legendary action frightening gaze the lich fixes its gaze on a creature you can see within ten feet and the target must succeed a dc seventeen whiz save or become frightened for one minute oh man y'all are boned. Uh... So I really enjoy um, trying to bring these iconic monsters to a little bit lower level. So I thought, because um, usually a lich is something that's been around for generations, right? And has learned mm -hmm. all this stuff. Well, maybe he hasn't yet. So um, I give it, you can see a couple of little details uh, in the, the, the graph there or the, the, the cutout PDF of the lore and stuff. Um, a lot of those is pretty fun. I do see a typo out to fix later, but no big deal. Uh, what do you guys <laughs> think about this? I've never fought a lich, and I've always wanted to. So this is a great way to do it. <laughs> Definitely, do think it's a good idea to to create scaled down versions of bigger baddies, just so players can encounter them more often. And as you point out, not every campaign gets to very high levels. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Pretty much artwork. sign like a uh, an unnamed contract by the time you hit level fifteen, where the world must end every week. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> uh, all right, I think that'll do it for our monster variant, the Reborn Lich. Pretty good. I like yeah. that one a lot. Our encounter of the podcast, though, is the Pirate Raid. Arr. It's me. Yeah, arr. <laughs> While the characters are traveling by ship, sky, or sea, they are confronted by a 30-person crew of dastardly pirates. Surprisingly, use the noble one. Uh, noble... Uh, Stat block. Uh, stat block. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the pirate captain, which is a bandit captain, and his crew wear tunic all with silver teeth and crossbones. A character with a successful DC 15 history check or with the sailor background recognizes the symbol of Theron Silvertooth Dryden, a well-known pirate in this area, while he and his crew have been known to kill any who would cause trouble. Most of the time, they are just businessmen. They make an offer, surrender the ship's cargo, and leave peacefully with their booty. If the characters and the crew comply with Silvertooth's demands, the pirates transfer the cargo and flee with their booty. As the GM, it is up to you whether to decide what the cargo is. You can keep it simple, like art, gold, other valuables, or you can maybe get creative, like maybe slaves or a dangerous and highly addictive opioid. Oh boy, drugs, everybody. Always fun. Yeah. Don't get addicted. Uh, <laughs> Hugs, not drugs. <laughs> Exactly. The characters may attempt to outrun the pirates. If they do, 25% of the crew dies in the escape. Use the below layer actions until the character's vessel is out of range. The pirate ship travels at 3 miles per hour. If the characters choose to fight, you have you will have a mass combat situation. In order to bring this massive brawl to life, we encourage you to focus on waves of smaller groups with the characters in battle. Treat the chaotic battle around the characters as the following layer action. On initiative count 20, losing initiative ties, because that's all layer actions do. 
Uh, cannonballs burst around the vessel, tossing it back and forth within 300 feet of the pirate's vessel. Any creature on the vessel must succeed on a DC 13 strength saving throw, or be pushed up to 20 feet into the water and knocked prone. The pirates and characters with the sailor background have advantage on the saving throw because, obviously, they've been through this before. This is not yep. an issue. An overwhelming surge of seawater sprays in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on a point on the pirate's choose within 300 feet of the pirate's vessel. Each creature in the spray must succeed on a DC 13 constitution saving throw or be blinded for one minute. All that salty water in your eyes sucks. Yep. Uh, you can repeat the saving throw <laughs> on each of the turns, ending itself on a success. The pirates and the characters of the sailor background, of course, have an advantage on the saving throw because, again, they've been through this before. A barrage of arrows or bullets riddle the target's vessel with 300, within 300 feet of the pirate's vessel. Any creature on the vessel that doesn't have full cover must succeed on a thir DC 13 deck save or take 2d6 piercing damage or half as much on a successful save. A creature with a partial cover has advantage on the saving throw. Unfortunately, you pirates and sailors do not have advantage on this one because arrows are still arrows and bullets are still bullets. <laughs> yeah. Just because you know they're coming doesn't mean you can outrun them. I swear I'm not intentionally making those longer. <laughs> I just can't help it. Um, what do you guys think? I love the fact of just chaos on a pirate battle because that really is what it is it, it really is just this chaotic situation where everything's just hitting the fan you just have to do what you can <laughs> yeah and that's kind of the the, the hope it's <laughs> so, um, pretty good i think it's important that when you get stuff situations like this the sailor background coming into play think of other ways as the dm to grant benefits for somebody who's chosen the sailor background during this mm-hmm I think it's actually an, a good idea to somehow build uh, backgrounds into various challenges like this in general, too. So, always nice yeah. to see. Mm, I agree. Our yeah. next thing for the is the magic item. And we have the Bolt Flower, which is a wondrous reagent and uncommon. This blue and purple flower can only be found atop mountains near the area where a bolt of lightning strikes the ground. You cast a spell of first level or higher that deals lightning damage, and add the bolt flower to the material components of a spell. If you do, targets that take damage from the lightning must succeed a DC 15 con saving throw or be stunned until the start of your next turn. Oh. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh what do you guys think? <laughs> That's I like cool. It. I like that a lot. I like, I mean, you don't really see lightning-based spells too much. Oh. And I feel like this is a way to kind of give them some love. Yeah, because um, you kind of just see fireball. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I really like this one because I wanted another consumable, but I didn't want it to be just a regular item. So by mm -hmm. giving an item that can be readily available, but only works and is expended when the player uses it, when casting a, a, a certain type of spell, making it that more situational, gives a, a, gives a reason to track certain uh, material components right most of the time mm -hmm. they don't track that but if i'm giving you magical components that enhance your spell oh you bet your ass they're gonna track that and i do think this is something that i would like to see done more often too i know you are working on supplements to do that but i think it's a nice thing to add and that also reminded me too about how there is not much uh lightning spells in the game even though there should be and that was very Obvious very quickly when I play the Storm Sorcerer, which gets bonuses from using lightning spells. Look at me go, hey, there's not that many lightning spells. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's funny. 
So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a simple magic item that's a consumable that only is used when a specific spell is used. Um, so that makes it very, very situational. Because not every spellcaster is going to have lightning spells. Yeah. But on top of that, it's an easy way, and I kind of see that we made this count before. It's just a nice way to make it so you can do nature checks and actually mm -hmm. use that skill. Yep, <laughs> for finding stuff. Yep, I love it. That's why I like that a lot. All yeah. right, that'll do it for our magic item, the Bolt Flower. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is the intangible favor. Let's be honest, sometimes heroes seek to call on favor in exchange for less tangible benefit. An introduction to a renowned master, access to a restricted area in the middle of the night, or being assigned a weak first opponent in a series of gladiatorial events, for example, count as intangible benefits. Favors of this sort are not easy to assign monetary values to, but sometimes a good approximation is possible. For example, a party seeking answers to certain questions might be required to produce the value of uh, its favor reward by 300 gold pieces, the component cost of the legend lore spell, which does something very similar. If no suitable approximation uh, itself is present, just deduct 20% of the party's overall favor reward for the request and consider it a, uh, as a minor request or half of it for a major, uh, major request. Um, so intangible rewards are uh, something that really has to come from the players in most cases. Um, but yeah. as a DM, you have to make them know that that's okay. If you say, hey, I'm willing to offer you a thousand gold pieces, and then, you know, uh, Thorg walks up and says, hey, how about eat for free for one year at the restaurant? That, that, the player has to bring that, but then the DM has to be willing to accept that. Or if the... Uh, there, an assassin needs to take care of somebody. Maybe instead of saying, I want a thousand gold, say, hey, how about you drop it down to like 800 and you make sure the guard at the door that night can easily be bribed or has already been brought, bought bribed. You know what I mean? Um, right. There's so many intangible favors that uh, 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 can be added to the game. If I offer your character a reward, it's like, you know what? I don't have 500 gold pieces, but I'm telling you what, I can give you 250 right now. And then I can ensure that you have a, um, access to the thieves den for a day to meet up and chat with whoever you want. And the fun thing about this too, is depending on how all this is executed is an NPC decides to cash in on these favors. Maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it goes both ways. I love it. Uh, what That's do you true. guys think? Get well, Austin. Ian kind of gave us. <laughs> uh, it getting like uh or like asking for favors is like. I feel like it, in practice it's a lot easier than trying to like explain it because like you kind of can equate with some common sense to be like yeah I mean this kind of makes sense it takes about this much time and effort to get this that probably equates to like so and so amount of gold right I can definitely see where that can like. It should probably be used a little bit more often because there is a point in the game where kind of gold becomes irrelevant and it's just, yeah. yeah. Unless you're using like modules that are like, you know, building keeps or strongholds or that kind right. of thing. 
So uh, now I flash back to Christopher Stroud, where like the one thing I hated about that campaign was you didn't really get that much gold very often. Even when you did get like, there's nothing to spend it on in, in this realm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny. So definitely can see that. Oh, I think that's a good one. Yeah. And I think, uh, once again, that's something that the DM has to be kind of mindful of if you're going to include it. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's great for lower level um, NPCs who don't have a lot to offer, but might know a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great way to put it. Good All way right. To introduce important characters, too. Absolutely. Uh, that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip in tangible favors. Our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by listening to Austin. And by listening to me, I mean role-playing a Gith... Uh, oh, boy. Gith's right. I almost said Gith Yankee. No, fuck <laughs> those like, guys. That's incorrect. Other one. <laughs> uh, the Gith's right value their heritage. It informs their philosophy, their behavior, and their to- intolerance for Gith Yankee. See, that's why it's important to know which one it is. And mind flayers. <laughs> Unlike the battle-driven Gith Yankee, the Gith's right seek inner peace and self-mastery. While the Githzerai are willing to explore and experience the multiverse, they maintain a worldview centered on personal responsibility and accomplishment. Their entire social hierarchy is based solely on merit, and each Githzerai must earn a place in society. Uh, Austerity, prudence, tenacity, and uh, pragmatism (laughs) also run strong in the Githzerai. Rarely do they own more than what they need. They're often people of few brief words. They don't often let their fiery souls and passion be reflected through a display of strong emotions. Gidzerai believes trust must be earned. They have come to expect lack of discipline and weakness in other races, especially the humans who wear the emotions on their face and body. It's a very big one because there's a lot of humans and that's kind of a thing you kind of have to play around with. And I'm sure like if you, you know, saw like a half orc or an orc, they saw them being angry all the time, which I know is still a stereotype, but Githzerais probably aren't going to like that very much either. Both be real here. Sometimes still exi- types of this for a reason. And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Yes. Right. Uh, the Githzerai have few solid relationships. Uh, faith, nationalism, and even familial loyalties are less important than one's own enlightenment. Uh, this leads them to constantly seek out new mentors and companions, and they are unwavering allies to those who prove worthy. So they kind of... Uh, handpick everyone that they kind of work with they don't really if they feel like they're not gaining too much out of the relationship that they're currently in with this group of people they're probably going to leave they're out of there so <laughs> that's role playing at Gidzerai. it is they're a fun. lot to take in they're yeah. very stoic people absolutely yeah. that really touched on all of it i don't really have anything to add to that that's yeah. uh i think that's from and... one of my 40 books too i don't know that i put it down there but And I think it is worth, once again, as we kind of mentioned, it is okay to use this as a basis. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to use this 100% because, let's face it, individualism is still a thing. And just because Mm. there is an average expectation for a race does not mean you have to play into that 100% either. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. I think people often forget that, especially when people say, but this racial depression is problematic. That's not saying that's one for one for everything. Right. Run. Yep. It's like all like good dark elves, good drow. Yep. Like they can exist. Or they or exist. Art savage. Yeah. Yeah. Just a half orc. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. 
Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by role-playing that gets awry. All right. And we uh, have yet another Fat Luke giveaway today. Twilight at Eventide. Which is a 32-page collection of three short adventures designed for characters levels 1 through 3. In this product, you can find a description and map of the village of Eventide. A vivid cast of characters in the village. A variety of detailed location maps, including an old mine, an abandoned farmhouse, a decrepit tower, and the ruined. Adventures that features Exvarts, Darklings, Dryads, and Hags. A combination of roleplay, exploration, and combat encounters. And I apologize in advance, the winner of this is Toy Boy. Don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going with it. That's okay. I work at a cafe, and I'm going to mispronounce everyone's name on purpose, just so they know that I just can't care enough. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron. A Aaron. <laughs> if you didn't win, no problem. Head over to CreditCamry.com and subscribe for your chance to win, and you can find plenty of other free stuff that we offer there already. So, yeah. Do it. Yeah. Do it now. Uh, I am really excited. That'll do it for our episode today. I'm really excited. Next week, we'll be uh, talking with uh, the cast of the Homebrew Podcast, um, a popular D&D sci-fi actual play podcast. So I'm super excited for them to talk about some of the changes that they made to the mechanics and how they really brought the the, the space feel to their, sto- to their stories. So... Uh, if you enjoy if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us please visit critacademy.com follow us on social media leave us a review on itunes even if you don't use itunes it's free to sign up and you can then leave a uh, leave a review uh it helps a lot because all the podcatchers use it uh you can also pick up some of our new products we just released uh, whitaker's well of wondrous magic items which is a magic item generator if you really like those um every monster to drop randomized loot they're all required uh, attunement, though, so you don't got to worry about it imbalancing your game. So, all right. Yeah. That'll do it for our show today. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes. <laughs>